It's hard to get through that last song for me. We get to that bridge. We talk about what God did and believing that he will do it again. It's heavy. It's heavy because I think I wrestle inside. Do I really believe it? One, do I believe that he did it? And then two, do I believe that he'll do it again? Because oftentimes my experience, it's iffy, right? Depends on where I'm at right now, currently in this moment, what I'm feeling, what I'm thinking, what my circumstances are. Oh, it just gets me. Three months ago, if you were here with us, we began a brand new series, a summer series called Revive Us. And we as a church together, as a community, as a family, we began to cry out to God to do that very thing. God, revive us. God, do something inside that we cannot do. Renaud talked about us catching the breath of God. And so we said, God, allow us to catch your breath. God, do something new, do something fresh, revive us. Revive our hearts and our minds, restore us, renew us, change us, continue the work that you started, that you promised that you will finish. And since that moment, we've all had a number of different experiences. Some of us, as I've heard from you and from other people telling me, God has done some incredible things in your heart and your mind whether it was God revealing to you new truth that you had never known before through the pages of scripture and the teaching of the word. Perhaps it was something inside that you had never felt before. Perhaps there was a freedom that God gave you that you hadn't been experiencing. You've been in slavery to sin or to old habits or thought processes and God set you free. Perhaps it was just a feeling, a sense of God's nearness that God really began to stir in you revival. For some of us, we feel exactly the same as we did three months ago. And we're just waiting. God, we ask you to revive us. We ask you to show up. We ask you to speak. We've been listening. We think, we're not even sure how to listen. Don't even know what you sound like. Like, I, I don't even know, but I just feel the same. Nothing has changed in the last three months. And I have faithfully come to church once a month. Some of you are like, wait, that's not what we're supposed to do. And for some of us, it's actually gotten worse. For some of us, our circumstances have changed for the worse. Things have gotten harder. Things have gotten more difficult. And God has begun to feel more distant. And the feeling inside that we might categorize as revival has felt the opposite. We felt more dead, more sad, more burdened, more distant. And then today we are bringing this series to a close. And you have to wonder how in the midst of a room full of Jesus followers who have a multitude of experiences with God, how do we bring this to a close? What do we do? You know, the book of Acts, I, I find a very similar experience to what we're going through. And if you want to grab your Bibles and turn to the book of Acts chapter one, it's near the end. It's right after the gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts. If you hit Romans, you've gone too far. Or if you hit Acts chapter two, you've gone too far because we're in chapter one. 
Acts chapter one. Just a little bit of context. Uh, we've already gotten out of the gospel. So we've had the three years of Jesus's earthly ministry. He's hung around with a number of different disciples, but 12 in particular that he chose uh, that number for a very particular purpose. He died on the cross for the sins of the world. He radically changed the course of human history. He rose from the grave. And then he spent 40 days with his closest followers, with his closest disciples. And it continues to say that he opened up the scriptures to them, showing how they all pointed to him. And I love that. I wish I could have been a part of those conversations. I can't imagine what it was like for Jesus to take the Bible and do a Bible study. Have you ever been a part of a Bible study and you thought, oh, this, this woman or this man, they're incredible. They're, the, their insight into the scriptures, it's amazing. I can't imagine what Jesus' insight into the scriptures were, how he would open it up. And you see it in the gospels a number of times and it's always brilliant. It's always incredible. It's always mind-blowing. But man, to be able to sit there and hear him, did he make jokes? I'm not sure. Probably so. So he opens up the scriptures and then, he gathers his disciples with him on a mountain. And this happens. Acts chapter one, starting in verse six, says this. So when they, this is the disciples in Jesus, when they had come together, they, the disciples asked him, Jesus, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Now, this is an important question to ask. This is the question they should be asking for two reasons. One, this had been the hope, this had been the desire, this had been the longing, the yearning of the entirety of the people of God for years, for years upon years upon years, as they prayed for God, as they longed for God to do what he promised that he would do that he would bring about the kingdom, the eternal kingdom under the descendant of David. These are the stories that they told their kids and their grandkids, the things that they said at night, the things that they said in the morning, the things that they'd said along the way. It was all about God doing what he had promised to do so long ago. Would you restore the kingdom to Israel? But it's also it mirrors exactly what Jesus was talking about throughout his ministry, right? When Matthew summarizes Jesus' entire teachings, when he summarizes Jesus' good news, the gospel, he says this, repent because the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God is here. It's present. It is at hand now. And so three years have passed. The disciples hearing Jesus talk about the kingdom of heaven over and over and over. He dies on the cross. He defeats death. He raises from the grave. And now they're like, okay, come on. It's time, right? Jesus, let's go. Let's go. Is it time now for you to restore the kingdom to Israel? And then Jesus responds curiously. He says this, it is not for you to know. It's not for you to know. How often have you heard that from God? God, why? God, win. It's not for you to know. It's not for you to know times or seasons that the Father is fixed by his own authority. It's not for you to know times or seasons that the Father is fixed by his own authority. There are things to come. There are things that are gonna happen. You're on a need to know basis and you don't need to know. Don't you love it when a parent says, because? 
Isn't that your favorite answer? Why? Because, or even better, because I said so. I don't understand. But why did you say so? Because. It's when the patience has ended, right? And there's just, it's like, you've asked why so many times, or it may be just because the parent doesn't know. As I've gotten older, I've realized that, that either I'm an anomaly or my parents knew far less than I thought they did. And at the same time, that they were more right than I ever could have imagined. Some of you haven't gotten there yet. Jesus said, it's not for you to know times or seasons that the father is fixed by his own authority. But then he gives them something. He says, here's, here's what I want you to think about. Here's what I want you to focus in on. But, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. It's not for you to know that, that thing, that when God is gonna do something, but here's what I want you to think about. Here's what I want you to focus in on. You're gonna receive power. Now I've, I've looked at this verse a number of times. In fact, I had a seminary, seminary class where we were learning how to study the Bible. And we took this verse, Acts chapter one, verse eight. And he made us as our homework, go home and find 50 observations from this verse. There aren't 50 words in this verse. And yet we were supposed to come up with 50 observations. So I've looked at this verse a lot. And yet for some reason it hit me fresh. I was just trying to think, picture myself as one of the disciples, as one of his closest followers there with him on the mountain, hearing that I'm not supposed to know a bunch of things, but this is a thing. And thinking that Jesus says, you're gonna receive power. Well, that sounds exciting. I like power. Who else likes power? Come on. You know you do. I love power. Power, control, love it. I have very little of it, but every ounce of it that I might possibly think I might have, I love it. Love to exercise it. I want to know what it's like to have more, so I asked my wife. <laughs> but power. But that's a little bit ambiguous, right? What, what is this power that Jesus is talking about? And he doesn't give him any explanation. In fact, what he does right after that is he leaves. He just disappears. He, he ascends into heaven and he like just mic drop. You're going to receive some power at some time in the future. You don't know when, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you don't know what that's going to be like. And then I'm out. What? What in the world? Well, I mean, incredible promise and exciting, but you don't know when, you don't know what it's going to be like. And so then the disciples just wait. They wait. Do, do you feel anything? I, I, didn't, I didn't feel anything. And Peter's like, I felt something. <laughs> you know? And then the next day, did, did, did you feel something? And then you don't want to, you don't want to say whether you felt something or not because you're afraid that they felt something and you didn't and you were left out. Just like, you know, when you're trying to get a hold of someone you know that's really godly and you can't and you're thinking, oh, the rapture happened. You know what I'm talking about? So, so the disciples, right? The disciples are trying to figure out what is this power? I don't know what this power is. I'm excited about it. I want it. I don't know when it's going to happen. I don't know what it's going to be like, but we're just waiting. We're just waiting. It was like us. God, revive us. God, stir within us a heart of desperation. Do something in us. Change us. Affect us. Spirit of God, come amongst us in our community and change us. Do something. Did you feel something? I mean, I probably did, but did you? You didn't? Okay, me neither. Yeah. They wait. 
And then Pentecost happens. 10 days later, 10 days, they're in waiting. They're in the lurch for 10 days. And then Pentecost happens. They're in a room together. The spirit comes with this loud sound, a mighty rushing wind. Tongues of fire rest on them. They begin speaking and the people hear them in each of their native languages. And it's powerful. Peter preaches a message. 3,000 people come to know the Lord and they all get baptized. And then they devote themselves to the community. They devote themselves to praying to Jesus, to communicating with God together. They, they demote, devote themselves to community, to communion. They devote themselves to one another. And then Peter and John one day go out to worship and there's this guy who's paralyzed and they heal him and then they start pointing it to Jesus and a bunch more people come to know Jesus. And then at that time, something difficult happens. They get arrested, they get interrogated and they get threatened. And well, this is not going well. And it's not just by anybody. It's by the most powerful people in that area. It's by the people who had Jesus tortured and crucified and killed, right? These are the people that had all the power to control the lives and the movements in that area. And now they're arrested by them. They're interrogated by them and they're threatened by them. And you know what they do afterwards? They leave and they pray for more boldness. As if they didn't already have boldness, now they're praying for more boldness. God, we're nervous. We're not gonna have the courage to continue to do what you want us to do. So give us that courage. Give us that strength. Help us to persevere. And they do. So they continue to preach, right? They continue to devote themselves to the community. And God is doing all kinds of things. In fact, he starts doing these incredible signs and wonders through all of the apostles. And those people who are in control, who are in power, they don't like it. So they arrest them again. They threaten them again. They interrogate them again. And then they take it up a notch. We see this in Acts chapter five, verse 40. Just a couple pages over. Acts chapter five, verse 40, page 1012. Says this, and when they, this is the people who were in power, the people who had Jesus crucified, if you're a Star Wars fan, you're hearing dum, 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 dum. This is those people, okay? It says, when they, when they had called in the apostles, they beat them. Now, in my life, there have been some times that have been moderately sort of kind of difficult to follow Jesus, Right? I mean, there's been some times where it hasn't been easy to follow Jesus. And there have been times when it hasn't been easy to share my faith with people. Right? I've, I've felt insecure. People haven't been receptive. There have been some times. But I don't know about you. I've never been beaten for my faith. Like actually physically beaten down for sharing the gospel. Okay? This is next level. Maybe some of you have. I've never experienced that. So they're experiencing next level persecution, next level difficulty. And when they had called the apostles, they beat them and then they charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus. And then they let them go. And here's the response of the apostles. Now, mind you, mind you, about 50, 60 days earlier, when Jesus got arrested, they all went and did what? Hid, 
right? The guys are behind, you know, in this room behind locked doors and the women are out like trying to take care of Jesus' body. It's kind of the way it is. They're terrified, right? They're terrified of what's about to happen, what might happen to them. That's these people. 60 days earlier, two months ago, think about yourself two months ago. Have you changed much? Probably not. And they left the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. They left the place where they got beaten for proclaiming Jesus and they were rejoicing that they were counted worthy. What an odd response. They were rejoicing. That, that word, that, that Greek word there, it means to rejoice, to be happy, to feel good about, to be grateful. They were grateful to God for allowing them to suffer, to be beaten for his name, for the gospel. And I tell you what, that brings up something in my mind, this, this question, this confusion about gratitude. Because when I think about gratitude, gratitude is that feeling that I get when someone gets me something that I want. Gratitude is that feeling that I get inside when something good has just happened to me that I've been looking forward to, longing for, or maybe something that I didn't expect, but was above and beyond something that I would have liked. And I get this feeling inside and I'm grateful. But did you know in scripture, it commands us to be grateful? The scripture, the number one repeated command in the scripture is to rejoice, to be grateful, to be thankful, to praise God for what he has done. That's the number one repeated command throughout the scriptures, to rejoice. How can the scriptures command us to just feel something? See, I think there's something about gratitude that we don't understand. Something about gratitude, gratitude that is more uh more powerful. And as we together as a community, having many different experiences throughout the summer and throughout our lives, that many of us are in very different circumstances right now. It's important that we understand what gratitude actually is. You and I, we live in the now and the scene. And the now and the scene can be very oppressive and burdensome. The now and the scene can be very deceptive. If you're anything like me, you live in the now, in the what I've experienced just, just recently. When somebody come up, comes up to me and says, how are you doing? I can only think, oh, I feel fine right now. Good, well, it's hard for me to think about all this stuff in the past and it's hard for me to, to really even assess all of the things going on in the present. We are so limited as human beings. But what the, what the scriptures talk about often is that there is something beyond what we see. There's an unseen realm. Right? There are spiritual realities going on right now. We just can't see them. With our five senses, touch, taste, smell, sight, Another one, like we, like we, we can't, we don't know. We, we don't know what's going on in the unseen realm because we can't see it, because we can't feel it. It's not tactile, but the, but the scriptures teach over and over. There, there's something else going on beyond where you're at in this moment. And I think what the scriptures teach is that gratitude opens the curtain. 
That gratitude is that discipline, that gift from God that opens the curtain to what is beyond what we see right now and beyond what we are experiencing right now. Paul talks about it this way. In the book of, in the book of Romans, Paul says this. Paul says, therefore, Romans chapter five, verse one, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we also have obtained access by faith into the grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Paul says, when we're talking about gratitude, rejoicing, and he'll talk about it more in a second. He says, we begin with the past, not the present. We begin with looking at what has already happened. He says, since we've already in the past have been justified by faith. See, already in the past, we have peace with God. And already in the past, we've obtained access to God, right? Paul begins by saying, look at the past. I remember when I turned 40, uh, I thought, you know what? I'm just gonna start writing down what I'm grateful for. 40 things. I'm gonna come up with 40 things that I'm grateful for. Some of you are like, you're 40? You look really good for your age. It's true. It's true. You're, you're correct. You're correct. But I wrote 40 things that I was grateful for. And as I was going through this process of writing what I was grateful for, the spirit of God in me, it felt like he kept challenging me to go deeper, to go further back. And so I began writing, thank you that you created me, that like I'm alive, that I have breath in my lungs. Thank you for giving me a body that works. My dad has had both of his legs amputated. Since then, I've been more and more thankful that I, that I have legs that can walk. God, thank you so much that I, I have a house that I'm living in. Thank you that I have a bed that I can sleep in that's comfortable. God, thank you that, and just began to list all these things that God had done for me. And then it felt like he was saying, go deeper, go more spiritual. And I remembered, oh, thank you that even though I was dead in my transgressions and sins, you made me alive. Thank you for that. God, thank you for inviting me into your family. Thank you that you were the one that made the way for me to be able to be a part of your family. Thank you for cleansing me and making me white as snow. Thank you for forgiving me of my sins. Thank you for setting me free so that now I can live in your ways. God, thank you that you made me a part of your family, that I have an eternity, that I've got like brothers and sisters who one day will be mature and complete, lacking nothing way better than they are now. Thank you, God. And what I began to do was see that I am standing right now where I'm at on a mountain of grace. Right now, currently, I'm standing on a mountain of gifts from God. And that the beginning of gratitude is remembering all that God has already done for us in the past. But it doesn't stop there. He says this, not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance. And endurance produces character and character produces hope and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Paul says, not only this, but we rejoice in our sufferings. We can be grateful to God in our sufferings because not only what God has done in the past, which is a mountain of grace, but what he is currently doing now that we can't see, that even in the midst of difficulty, even in the midst of train, pain, even in the midst of tragedy, even in the midst of despair, that God is taking those circumstances, those emotions, those feelings, everything we're going through, and he's saying, I'm gonna use those, I'm gonna mold those and shape those, and build them into something beautiful for you. That I'm going to take the most difficult, awful, tragic circumstances that you've ever gone through, and I'm going to make them into this beautiful character inside of you. 
that not only God has done great things, but now even in suffering, he is doing great things. But he doesn't stop there. In uh, 2 Corinthians, he's writing a letter to the church of Corinth and he says this, he says, so we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day for this light momentary affliction. Now, for those of you who are going through tragedy right now, this is offensive. Light and momentary, doesn't feel light and momentary, does it? And it's easy to think, Paul, you don't know what you're talking about. Well, then about, uh, you know, eight chapters later, Paul begins to list what he has experienced, which by the way, he was beaten, he was whipped, he was tortured, he was stoned nearly to death. He had went through a number of shipwrecks, spent a night and a day adrift at sea. He was imprisoned, he was threatened, he was tortured. I mean, Paul's list is probably greater than any one of us in here, if I had to guess. And yet Paul takes all of those difficulties and he calls them light and momentary. Why? He says, for these light and momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. That it's not that what we're going through is easy. It's not that what we're going through is small. It's not that what we're going through doesn't matter. It's not difficult. It's that in comparison to what is God is doing and what he's bringing about in the future, he's preparing an eternal weight of glory. And he says, as we look to the things that are seen, not as we, not, as we do not look to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen, to the things that are seen or transient, they pass away but the things that are unseen are eternal. See, God is so good. He's so kind. He's so generous that he gives us this gift of gratitude that sets us free from the now and the unseen and pushes us into the unseen and the eternal. As we practice gratitude, we begin with what God has already done, which is just a mountain of grace. And then we move to what God is currently doing now, even though we can't see it, even though we can't feel it. And they, we end with the faith in what God will do because he has promised he will do it. We're gonna continue this morning in gratitude. We're gonna continue to praise Jesus' name. We're gonna thank him for what he has done, for what he is doing and what he will continue to do in our hearts, in our minds, together as a community, even if we don't feel it by faith believing that gratitude will open the door to what God would have for us to experience in the fullness of what he has for us as Jesus calls it abundant life. Let's pray and continue to praise his name. Heavenly Father, thank you so much that you are currently giving us the gift of gratitude so that it might shape our understanding, shape our perspective, properly shape our perspective to what is really going on in the unseen and in the eternal. I pray that you would fill our hearts with gratitude. And God, if there's anyone in here who's not there yet, I just pray that you'd give them the grace to feel the freedom to not sing the words yet, to not mean the words yet, and perhaps just to cry out, help me. And I pray that you would surround them with people who can walk with them and love them and encourage them. God, we need you. We need you. We need you. We need you. Thank you for all that you have done, all that you are doing, and all that you will do, that you have promised to do. Help us by faith to believe. In Jesus' name.